Well, happy Easter. Good morning, everyone. I'm uh, glad I survived the baptism of Andrew. I didn't know if he was going to take me down with him. Because the size difference there was uh, just a slight difference. Uh, if you are thinking yourself of getting baptized or and becoming a church member, uh, just give the church a call or an email. Uh, we are going to have some baptism and membership classes coming up in the next uh, couple of weeks here. And we'd love to have another baptism service uh, hopefully in a couple of months. And so if that is something that you are interested in, just get a hold of me and let me know and we'll get you in those classes. And then just one other announcement that I want to draw your attention to. And that is that next week our community center, just down the street from us here in Hamilton, is doing a community cleanup for just an hour and a half from 10.30 to 12 o'clock. And I thought it would be wonderful if we could get a good group of people from the church. It's only an hour and a half on a Saturday to just head on over to the community center there from 10:30 to 12 and just do some community cleanup. So they would like from me some numbers from the church. And if you could do that, and I particularly want to do a call out to those that live in the Hamilton community. This is your own community and be great for you if you have time to show up there. Just send me an email either today or tomorrow and uh, on Tuesday then I will count up all the numbers and that and I can call the community center and say this many people from Bethany Baptist Church is going to be coming out to help with that community cleanup. Uh, before I get into the message, let's just bow our heads and pray. I'm going to pray, pray a short prayer here from the Anglican prayer book for Easter Sunday. On this day that the Lord has made, Lord, we pray. On this day that the Lord has made, let us pray for the people that Christ has redeemed. That we may live as those who believe in the triumph of the cross. That all people may receive the good news of his victory. That those born to new life in the waters of baptism may know the power of his resurrection. That those who suffer pain and anguish may find healing and peace in the wounds of Christ. That in the undying love of Christ we may be united with all who have died in the faith of Christ. Let us commend the world in which Christ rose from the dead to the mercy and protection of God. Amen. The New Testament goes out of its way to emphasize the fact that the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which we celebrate today on Easter Sunday, is something that happened in real history that it is a fact, it's not just a fairy tale in people's minds. The apostle Peter wrote these words. We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. The apostle John also emphasized that he was an eyewitness. That this was not something that just happened in a dream. It was not something that just happened in his mind. It was not just an experience. But the senses of seeing, hearing, and touching verified what happened. He begins First John by saying, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this is what we proclaim to you, regarding the word of life. The Gospel of Luke, another writer, begins his gospel by 
also emphasizing the historical validity of the things of Jesus Christ. He says, these things were handed down to us by those who were from the first eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write to you an orderly account. We could go on to see that the New Testament writers understood the crazy message of resurrection was not something that people normally heard about, if ever. But they wanted to make sure that what people were hearing from them was not something that they just made up. It's something that really happened. And because this strange, weird resurrection thing happened, everything changed. That because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago, everything has changed. Which also is another one of the historical validities to the resurrection. When I look at the birth of the church, to me there is no better explanation for how all of a sudden, amidst persecution, amidst death, that a small group of Jewish people radically reinterpreted their faith and began following this person, Jesus Christ, and that the church then began to spread as quickly as it did within only decades of the resurrection happening, there's no better explanation to me than that something really took place. What would be the point of all of these people gathering together, changing the way they understand their scripture, willing to lay down their life and be persecuted if nothing really happened? There's no better theory of how a cross Uh, which we can forget in our day and age, a cross which was a despised symbol, a degrading symbol of imperial oppression, became something that we hang up in our churches and around our necks as a sign of victory. How did that take place? How did something seen as the most degrading thing in a society becomes something now that is seen as a sign of God's love. As victory. As a sign of conquering. There's no better way to explain that numerous Orthodox Jews radically broke away from traditional Judaism and followed a man by the name of Jesus other than the fact that a tomb was empty on Easter Sunday. You see, the resurrection changed everything. It changed absolutely everything. Jesus' resurrection caused a major split in regards to how the Jews interpreted Torah, what we call the Old Testament, their scripture. Take something like the strictness of the Sabbath. For Jews in Jesus' day, even today, for Orthodox Jews, Sabbath observance on Saturday, the seventh day of the week, is a pillar of their faith. It is something that is a non-negotiable. A practicing Orthodox Jew in their act of worship, Saturday Sabbath is not something you debate about. The fact then that a Jewish-rooted early church the church started with 
Jewish followers of Jesus. And they were, like Paul too, very strict Orthodox Jews. The fact that these early Jews began following a man named Jesus and began to worship on Sunday. A day they did not see as Sabbath. A day that they saw as resurrection day. What would cause these Jews to change the day of worship? Orthodox Jews being so strict that this day is not a day to be touched. What would cause them to worship on Sundays? To worship on a day that for everybody else was just a regular day of the week. New Testament scholar N.T. Wright says the seventh day Saturday Sabbath was so firmly rooted in Judaism as a major social, cultural, religious, and political landmark that to make any adjustment to it was not like modern Western people today deciding to play tennis on Tuesdays instead of Wednesdays. The Sabbath was one of the three things along with circumcision and the dietary laws that marked the Jews out from their pagan neighbors. It was a sign that these were followers of God. And yet the church started worshiping not on Saturday but Sunday. They saw Jesus as the fulfillment of the law. Quickly abandoning Saturday Sabbath, meeting on Sundays because it was resurrection day, and seeing that the social, cultural, religious, and political landmark of Sabbath was now fulfilled in Jesus. Not a day of the week. Jesus became their new social, political, religious, and cultural landmark. So far that the writer of Hebrews in the New Testament says that Jesus is the Sabbath. That Saturday Sabbath in the Old Testament was merely a shadow. It was merely an illustration anticipating and preparing us for Jesus Christ who is the real rest. Jesus fulfills the Sabbath. It's no wonder the Jews who rejected Jesus wanted Jesus' followers after his resurrection to also die. Jesus' Resurrection was anti-establishment. It changed everything. Because of Jesus' resurrection, Paul writes that the freedom that we have now as Christians was shocking to even liberal Jews. In Romans 14, Paul spells this out briefly by dealing with specifically these three pillars of the Jewish faith. Again, regarding Sabbath day practice in Romans, Paul says, Now, because of Christ, one person considers one day more sacred than another, another considers all days alike. And then Paul says, Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Now in Christ there's freedom. Some people have holy days and practice those. That's great. Some people say every day is holy. That's great. Some people have services that they worship now on Wednesdays. or this. Paul says just you're convinced in your own mind. As long as Christ is your Sabbath, as long as Christ is the center, he, because of resurrection, has changed everything. And then in the same passage in Romans 14, he then goes on to talk about the food laws. Paul writes, in light of Christ's resurrection... One person's faith allows them to eat everything. 
But another person's faith, which is weaker, eats only vegetables. As one who is in the Lord Jesus, I am fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself. And so, orthodox, practicing Jews who saw dietary laws as marking them out as followers of God, now because of Jesus Christ, started to eat bacon. No food is unclean. Again, all of these things were merely preparatory shadows. Christ, the reality has come, and it's radically changed everything. And then, regarding circumcision, the third pillar of the Jewish faith, Paul, in writing to the uh, different churches in Corinthians, says this, circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commandments is what counts. Which would be ironic, because anybody reading that, they would say, but I thought circumcision was one of God's commandments. Paul's saying, no, the commandments that God is looking at is the radical change in the heart because of resurrection. So much for the three pillars of Judaism. Resurrection changed everything. A radical reorientation of Sabbath. A radical reorientation of dietary laws. A radical reorientation of things like circumcision. All of a sudden, Jesus, and because of his resurrection, changed the way everything was looked at and how scripture was read. Now that the Messiah was here, the training manual was no longer needed. It's kind of like, in, in fact, Paul refers to the Old Testament, Hebrews refers to this too, as, as kind of a, a training, as kind of a, a, a tutor to prepare someone for ultimate graduation. Once graduation has come, you no longer need the details of the tutor. It's like if you ride a bike. The Old Testament Things like circumcision and Sabbath and dietary laws, they're like the training wheels on the bike. And they help you balance the bike a little bit as you're learning how to balance the bike. But once you learn how to ride a bike, you get rid of those training wheels. In fact, if you say, you know what, that training wheel stuff was kind of cool. So even though I know how to ride my bike, I'm going to put the training wheels on. Because can't we have the bike and the training wheels? That will even be better. Well, I'll tell you something. Just try mountain biking with training wheels. Just try any kind of really fun biking with training wheels. It actually hinders you. It doesn't make it easier. It makes it worse. That's like these Old Testament laws. Now that Christ has come, now that the resurrection's come, take the training wheels off, throw them away, and start to really ride the bike. The resurrection changed everything. The training wheels served their purpose for their time, but now the training wheels are gone. And Paul has strong words for anybody that wants to follow Christ and put the training wheels back on. Just read the book of Galatians, it's all about that. Jesus' resurrection changed everything. To hear just how radical his resurrection is, listen to a modern Jewish writer, David Klinghoffer in a book that he wrote called Why the Jews Rejected Jesus, the turning point in Western history. Notice how even in his title, the subtitle, says that the resurrection changed everything because he says the turning point in history. Now, he 
is writing about why Jews like him have rejected Jesus. And listen to his words. And this just shows you how powerful resurrection is. He says, even if Jesus was raised from the dead after the crucifixion, that would not prove him to be the Messiah. Because Jesus dismissed the law as a human invention. And he felt empowered to read and interpret the Torah in light of himself, regardless of what the elders taught. See, what he's saying is that why Jews like him, David, and others throughout history have rejected Jesus, they say, even if you prove to me that Jesus rose from the dead, it wouldn't matter. He can't be the Messiah. Because he broke Sabbath laws. Because of the way circumcision is interpreted. Because of the way dietary laws are interpreted. No Messiah would contradict the pillars of the Jewish faith. That's the dividing line of resurrection. Does Jesus' resurrection change everything? Does it put new lens before our eyes in the way scripture is read? That's the question we all need to ask ourselves. What was the point of scripture? What was the point of Old Testament? Was it to just follow it strictly so that we can be right with God in the end? Or was it preparatory for Christ? The Jewish followers of Jesus, the New Testament writers, Christians for the last 2,000 years, have said it's all leading to Christ. And they have marked resurrection as proof of that. So it all matters on what we believe of resurrection. I mean, Jesus could have said and done all the things that he could have said and done in regards to Scripture and him being the fulfillment of it. And then on Good Friday, he could have died on the cross, and that was the end of it. The resurrection was God's validation that what Jesus said was true. And that God was putting his stamp on it and saying, yes, this is the one. This is what I've been preparing the world for since the time I called Israel. Jesus is the true Israel. He's the fulfillment of Israel. He is the fulfillment of everything that I promised Abraham. Because something happened on the third day after Jesus' death. Everything changed. Twelve people that sat around a table having the Lord's Supper, one of them even betraying Jesus, never to return, has now suddenly blown into around two billion people around the world today celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. From every nation, tribe, tongue, more than the sands of the sea or the stars in the sky, as the history of the church continues to explode, God's people redeemed, as you saw in the baptisms today, because of the resurrection. Now, I admit, it's hard to accept the resurrection. I've talked to many people, and just like Paul in the, in the New Testament, when resurrection comes up, that's a sticking point. 
You can talk a lot of, to a lot of people about spirituality and about getting right with God. And you can talk to a lot of people about spirits and souls and all this kind of stuff. And pretty much across the board, most people's religions will track with you. And, and it'll be in that realm where people will say, can't we just all say that we're really believing the same thing? But then all of a sudden, you move from that and you start talking about resurrection. And I don't mean just metaphorically, I mean literal historical resurrection. Some guy rose from the dead, and all of a sudden, you get laughed at, scoffed at. In fact, one person even said to me once, you can't tell me that today, in the 21st century, you can actually believe something like that. Maybe back in the New Testament times, people said, and I said, no, no, no. See, back in the New Testament times, whenever Paul would raise things like that, he was laughed and scoffed too. This is not something that's just because of modern science. It was ridiculous 2,000 years ago. Resurrection. People don't rise from the dead. Unless one man really did. Because God intervened in such a way that is beyond our human capacity to understand. I, for one, because of the things I said at the earlier part of the message, because of the things that have happened in history, because of the way the church is birthed, because of the change in all of a sudden these people that were Jewish followers, of Jesus, something had to have happened. To me, the only explanation, though I can't understand how, the only explanation is that somebody named Jesus really rose from the dead. People will try to come up with different theories. They'll say, no, Jesus really only passed out on the cross. He didn't really die. Or the disciples stole Jesus' body. Or the resurrection appearances were hallucinations. Or Jesus' resurrection was only meant to symbolize new life. Some people have said, no, Jesus was actually given some kind of miracle drug on the cross. And the miracle drug kind of made him pass out and swoon. And then when they put him in the tomb, he revived in the tomb from the cool air. And then ate spinach like Popeye or something and rolled the stone away, took the guards out and then found Mary Magdalene and then they went off to India and then they got married and then they started a Gnostic sect and that's what happened with Jesus. And people believe that stuff or want to believe that stuff more than resurrection. Just look at like when the Da Vinci Code came out. Many will try to find conspiracy theories to try to explain what happened, but it seems that nothing else really explains it other than what's hard for our minds to conceive, and that is resurrection. But I don't believe that the main reason people reject resurrection is because of how hard it is for our minds to stretch to that conclusion. I think when push comes to shove, the big reason why people reject resurrection is more psychological than it is merely intellectual. And that is that the resurrection changed everything. And we don't like change. I mean, let's face it, even churchgoers like the same thing the same way year after year 
after year after year after year. We like our religion safe. We like our religion neat. We like our religion tidy. We like to know exactly what to do, when to do it, and how to achieve it with measurable results. As long as we color inside the lines, we assure ourselves that God is pleased with us. But resurrection doesn't fit that. Resurrection changes everything. It pushes us out of the safety of religion and into relationships with God and with other people, which are always messy. Like we saw with the Jewish laws, the resurrection shows us that it's not about the day of the week that we worship. It's not about the kind of food you eat. It's not about cutting off a part of your skin. It's about relationships. The resurrection changes everything, and that's where people really face the question. If I accept this resurrection, it's going to change my life. It's going to radically alter my identity. Paul says this very thing. He says, the kingdom of God is not a matter about eating and drinking, but about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by others. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. John Calvin in his Institutes echoed the same thing. He says this liberty, this freedom that we found in Christ, that we are not bound before God to any observance of external things which are in themselves indifferent. But now because of Christ we are at full liberty to either use them or admit them. But then he goes on to say, but we will obviously temper our freedom and yield it to the ignorant and weak. But we will not temper, I like this, because sometimes we only think about the weaker brother, and he does go on to say, but we will not temper our freedom because of the severity of the Pharisees among us. There's a balance. There are legitimately weaker people, earlier people in their, their, their growth in Christian their, their growth in Christ and around those people. Sometimes we need to temper our freedom. But those people that should be mature and growing up, Paul's saying, you don't temper, and Calvin says this, and you don't temper your freedom for those people. That, that, that's just being, they're just being Pharisees. They should have grown up by now. The resurrection changed everything. Chuck Swindle, in a great book I would recommend, I'm not sure if Chuck Swindle's still preaching. I know he's still on the radio, but I'm not sure if he's still uh, preaching or not today. But wrote a great book, The Grace Awakening. In the preface of this book, he says, Too many folks are being turned off by a twisted concept of the Christian life. Instead of offering a winsome and contagious and sensible and achievable invitation of hope and cheer through the sheer power of Christ, more people than ever are projecting a grim-faced character of religion on demand. I find it tragic that religious killjoys have almost succeeded in taking the freedom and fun out of the faith. I mean, isn't it about resurrection? Isn't resurrection about life? People need to know that there is more to the Christian life than deep frowns, pointing fingers, and unrealistic expectation. Harassment has had the flood long enough. Let grace awaken. What a great introduction to a book. 
And then the whole book talks about the awakening of grace. New life has been brought to us. Why? Because the resurrection changes everything. And the resurrection is about life. That's why Paul says, for this reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the living and the dead. For this reason, this is the reason Jesus did this. That he might be the Lord of all, living and dead. That he alone might be the Lord of life. My favorite Anglican preacher from the 18th century, John Newton, writer of the hymn Amazing Grace, says, you may be able to compel people to maintain certain minimal standards by stressing duty. But the highest moral and spiritual achievements depend not on a push, but a pull. People must be charmed into righteousness. Jesus' resurrection changes everything. It's the greatest love story that has ever been written. As a lover who has come for us to charm us to woo us, to follow him. Paul says it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of the training wheels and slavery. Mark my words, you who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You've actually fallen away from grace. What strong words. If you're trying to achieve your righteousness through law, you've actually thrown your faith away. That's why Paul has such strong words about not going back. The only thing that counts, he says, is faith expressing itself through love. That should be the theme verse that we put before on, on top of every one of our mirrors so that the first thing we see every morning when we wake up is the only thing that matters in life is faith expressing itself through love. That's what the resurrection has empowered us to do. That is what the resurrection says. It says love. Love that is so strong that it conquered death. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your love story, for a love that conquered death. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for the lives that we saw this morning changed because of your love. And Lord, may the life of love that you have infused in us ooze out of us as we love others to woo people into the kingdom of God. Amen.